Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get, like, brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, Today's guest is Dave Janetta, who is a documentary filmmaker, and he made an incredible film based on the Poe Ballantyne uh, memoir, Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere, uh, which I think is a great title. I screwed up in the interview, but that's okay. Uh, And uh, I'll get to to, uh, Dave Janetta and Poe Ballantyne in a second. I just want to welcome you for coming uh, to the show. Not that you came anywhere. You're probably in your car or in your cubicle or home. <laughs> but either way, thank you for coming. Uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, it is uh, it is what I strive to do is have a conversation, not a uh, not a um, you know stiff question answer interview. I, I hope that we break away and sort of just explore things and discover things. And uh, 
I feel pretty good that we did that in this episode. Um, if you if you can uh, go to the, my website, themattdwyer.com, and uh, that has all things Matt Dwyer. And uh, if you like my show, and if you've listened before, if you can donate something, that would be awesome. Or you could go to the Feral Audio Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and you could use the Amazon link there and put it in your toolbar. And anytime you buy some bullshit, I uh, I get a kickback of that money, and that helps support us and buy new recorders and all kinds of uh, things. Now, I did probably by the time this airs, uh, it won't be as big as an issue. But uh, I don't know. I'm t- I'm slightly irritated by this whole Ghostbusters three thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not that it's all women. I don't give a fuck if they cast all baboons, and uh, and and sharks. But I just feel like what people really should be annoyed by, if they're annoyed, is that Hollywood just keeps cramming the same shit down everybody's throat, and and people go see it. It's like shouldn't you should be insulted that they're like, well, let's just throw uh, Ghostbusters at them again. Uh, let's do uh, and let's make a movie out of Knight Rider. Yeah, those they're, they're dumb enough. They'll like it. <laughs> I don't know why. Suddenly, I think uh, movie executives talk like a you know a a villain from a 1940s comedy. Hey, listen there now. But uh, I don't know. It's just amazing, and I feel like this is another problem though. But people just go and see anything. And it's like, it's a it's a consumer minded I think where they're just like yeah you know I'll, I'll go see it yeah I just uh, you know I know I I know I hear it's bad but I'll go see it it's like you should not you're voting that you're like you're voting with your dollar, and it's like I feel like Hollywood executives are the laziest motherfuckers on the face of the earth because it's like it's not like they pile through a bunch of scripts like we've got to find. Uh, I've got a long day of just reading scripts and finding something and they're just like meh. Let's uh, let's reboot Annie Hall and make Woody Allen a mercenary and uh, and Annie Hall's a spy. Yeah, we'll just do that. I just feel like it's the laziest job. Look at how many movies are just comic books and reboots, and it's there's no imagination whatsoever. It's a, I, I I think it's probably the darkest, the worst time for Hollywood movies. Not that I. I get upset about uh, pop culture stuff. I just, I mean, I love movies and I love great movies and I and and, and I don't feel they're like getting made. I saw Blue Ruin on Netflix, which we talk about, and it's like such a great movie. Barely heard about it. Uh, it's so bizarre to me that uh, we're in such a un. And I don't give a shit about pop culture and like I don't. I'm not one of those guys who gets upset about celebrities. That's the other thing where people are like women playing Ghostbusters. That's not the way. It's like, who gives a shit? It's all garbage. <laughs> it's so, But people who get upset about, like, well, Bruce Jenner's going to be a woman. It's like, if you, first of all, I think that's great. I think it's cool that he's going to do, I hate reality sh- television with a fucking passion. But the fact that he might educate some people on transgender issues through that show, then I, you know, as long as they don't, the producers don't make it uh, a weirdo freak show. As there ought to do, take advantage of the situations. But, I don't know, if you're upset about pop culture and, like, what celebrity is doing what, you should... And it's like you're a person who gets angry at Miley Cyrus. Like, if that fills you with rage, you should drop to your knees and thank the non-existent God <laughs> that, that 
that is what you have the luxury of getting upset with in your life. Because it's, uh, anyway, that's it's just garbage. It's garbage, everybody. I'm thankful that I don't know any of these, who these people are. I know, like, uh, who's the chick with the big butt married to Kanye? I know who she is. I clearly don't know her name, Kim Kardashian. I couldn't tell you what her sister looks like. Vaguely know her mother. I feel good about it. I feel good about it. I've been, not that now I'm like switching to what I'm reading, because that makes it sound like I'm some arrogant prick, but I read books. I don't watch TV, but I'm reading about uh, the mayor of Chicago for 40 years, uh, Richard J. Daly. Oof. I love the city of Chicago, as you know if you listen to my show, but lordy. What a that city steeped in racism, up there with Alabama. It's just like, whoo! What a filthy prick. Uh, anyway, I'll let I'll just I'm gonna switch back. To, so today's guest is Dave Janetta. He made this incredible documentary, uh, which goes along with Poe Valentine's book Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere. Uh, Poe Valentine is one of my favorite living writers, uh, and if he passed away, God forbid, he would be one of my favorite non-living writers uh check out his books he's really incredible i i, I think there's uh, uh i don't know i just the guy's stuff i could gobble it up i i it and uh this film dave janetta made is incredible it came out yesterday uh on the itunes and on the on demands uh and that's of course i say yesterday if you're listening to this the wednesday day it came out it came out january 3rd 2015 it is a great film it is beautiful uh, it is a great compliment to the f- book Love and Terror, so I would say do both. Uh, it's it's highly worth it. I'm gonna buy the damn thing. That's what I think of it. Why don't we listen to my conversation with Dave Janetta right now? I was curious, like. Because you, when you read the book, uh, Howland, uh, what is it? I'm totally blanking on that. That's a love and terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere. The, the easiest title ever to remember. Uh, I, the title's great. All of Poe Ballantyne's titles are incredible to me. I agree. I agree. But and that's like one. It's like a it's a sticking point with him though, because his publishers and you know they're all like, man, these they're they're cool as like titles, but terrible as sort of like marketing. Uh, you know, vehicles for like marketing your book. And I, you know, I found that at film festivals too. It's like, you know, I'll like hear people having conversations about films that they saw and nobody ever, ever gets it right. You know, some, some lady will be like, Oh, I, I love the, uh, the howling nowhere movie. That was, that was great. You know, that's like, it. that sounds like an existential vampire or werewolf movie. <laughs> yeah. That's actually pretty, I should write that one down yeah. for, for later use, but <laughs> But, uh, yeah, sorry, so you were asking about the town itself. Yeah, I just, it, well, after reading the book and, like, seeing the documentary, which, by the way, is, there's so many great things about it. It's visually alone. is You could just turn off the sound and watch it and just be taken away by the, the, the visuals. And then, Thanks, man. And the music is really incredible. It's, it's, it's so, it's really engaging. It's, like, mesmerizing. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, oh, I was going to ask, how did you meet, how did this come about that you, because uh, the book, I mean, the documentary, you started it like pretty much right when the book came out. How did that come about? 
Yeah, well, actually, I started the documentary about a year plus before the the book came out, and I had read an interview with uh, with Poe on the Nervous Breakdown. If you've ever heard of that website, and um, and really, I just I had been a fan of Poe's, and I was as you you know as you do when you exhaust somebody's catalog, you do an internet search and you just type in you know Poe Valentine next book or something. And in an interview on the Nervous Breakdown, he talked about love and terror, and it was just a short one paragraph blurb. But the the blurb itself was just so compelling and fascinating. And I and you know, and I already loved Poe, and I already knew a lot about his life, so. Um, so I just, you know, I wrote him a letter. I typed it out on my on my typewriter. I thought he would appreciate that, and and uh, we just started corresponding. And it took a little bit um, because, you know, obviously, you know, some weirdo just, eat, you know, writes you out of out of the blue and says, "Let me make a, a film based on your book that I haven't read because it's not out yet." <laughs> um, <laughs> He, uh, yeah, his, his early emails are kind of funny. Um, the, the one was like, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't slam the door in my face. Right. But he wasn't, he wasn't like, Oh sure. You know, let's, let's, let's do this. Um, what I think so, so his, his first email to me after he got the letter, he wrote me an email and it starts all these buzzers and tarts want to chat me up when I'm trying to write Dave. And I apologize for lumping you in with them. So <laughs> And that was my first thing, but uh, but so yeah, I mean, you know, we just we got, we got along. I mean, and then eventually I went out there. Yeah, I would. What is he? I mean, you get a good sense of what he's like in the documentary, but I would imagine it's like just one on one when there's no cameras and stuff. It's got to be a little bit different. I don't, you know, it's interesting. I mean, that was a. It was first of all a pretty. It was a big concern, or at least it was a huge variable for me. It was like, well. I've never seen this guy on film. He's got very little web presence. Presence. I mean, you can barely find a, a picture of him online. And so he was, uh, from the outset, was going to be like a cornerstone of the film. He was going to be the the main, you know, the narrator, you know, so uh, quote unquote. But so just, you know, having to go out there and just see what he was going to be like on camera was like a, a really big question mark for me. But, um, it, it, you know, he turned out to be not only on camera is he like he is in person but he's also like he is on the page and i find that to be i mean maybe it's different for for uh comedians but you know for authors who are writing sort of personal essays that touch on existential questions i mean it seems it seems like a fairly fairly sort of rare find yeah he's it it perplexes me i mean like what do they call him the the best unknown author or something like that and it's like yeah yeah he's like the, yeah the best author you've never heard of or something like that you know guys like tom robbins and stuff say that it's it's i mean because uh a friend of mine turned me on to him uh probably 10 years ago i want to say or and i just it was immediately i responded to his writing and it it's hits you on a personal level and it's just it's uh there's an intimacy about it and I've read everything he's written and it's, you're just, I'm bad. I'm like this, like, and every, I give his books out as gifts too, because I'm like, you should fucking read this guy. And it's just perplexing yeah. to me that he's not like in this other sphere. And I don't know if that's because the market of publishing changed. Uh, it surely is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And it's something we talk about, uh, you know, fairly regularly just cause it's a, you know, I, I mean, it's something that he's come to grips with and just accepts at this point, you know, but I, I wouldn't say he's completely content with it, but I, he, he's, he accepts it 
But, uh, you know, did, did you first, did your friend uh, uh, introduce you to stuff in the sun first? No, it, it was uh, things I like about America. Okay. Uh, the use yeah, of stuff in the sun now, I feel like I haven't read everything. Because I don't know what that well, is. Well, you, you, uh, the sun is a, it's a magazine out of uh, oh, North yes, Carolina. Yes, yes, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, if, you, if you don't read that, you may have missed a couple stories. But, you know, mo most of what he's published is his published essays. But in the sun, I think he's had, you know, I mean, probably outside of the scope of the books that you've read, he's got another maybe half dozen or dozen short essays. But, um, yeah, no, I, I only ask that because that's, you know, I ask a lot of people at Q&As and um, after the screenings of the film. And mo most people have heard of him, you know, through the sun. But very that's, you know, maybe like three hands in an audience of 100 will, will shoot up when I ask the question. So you know, ho hopefully the film is doing something to, to nudge him from the literary shadows, you know. Yeah, I would. And I feel like that book, that book has done, has gotten a little bit more publicity in general, it seems, than his, because I know I've seen some NPR pieces and whatnot about it, so that's always encouraging. Yeah, it's good, and I mean, and you know, it's he's published by a, a small publisher named Hawthorne, and you know, they don't have a lot of marketing money, and so, in some respects, I mean, the film, you know, so the book came out uh, September of twenty thirteen, I believe. And the film premiered in early 2014, and it's kind of been playing. So I guess in some way it, it keeps the conversation going. And I mean, I you know I don't know much about the publishing world, but it doesn't seem like it's yeah. It just seems like it's in a pretty difficult place, especially for for somebody like so. Yeah, it's uh, just from my dabbing my toe in things. It's just like from what I've gathered by them, like guys like Hemingway would be unmarketable. Like he's yeah. always, they're all like, well, uh, most it's mostly women buying books nowadays. And I'm like, that's where do you get this bullshit? Cause it's like every guy I know reads and avidly. Yeah. Yeah. But, I have no idea, man. Now what was it with this documentary? Were you just more yeah. interested in doing something with Poe or was it the story of also, cause there's, uh, I guess my listeners have no idea if they haven't read the book yet. Uh, that there's also a murder involved in it, so it's a, the book is a, and the documentary is about Poe Ballantyne and this sort of him getting involved in this murder in his small hometown. Right. Yeah, I can give a little. Do you want me to give a little blurb? Yeah. Sort of. Uh, sure. So, um, ostensibly, the book is about uh, a math professor named Stephen Hadia. He came to this little town of Shadron, Nebraska, in 2006 to teach math at a little college that's in the town. Three months after he got there, he disappeared. Um, or sorry, a little more than that. Maybe about five months after he arrived, he disappeared. And then they found him three months later, bounced to a tree and burned to death in the hill south of campus. So it's just little like Twin Peaks, uh, unsolved. I mean, that's giving the ending away, but it's an unsolved little mystery. And it's sort of the, the entry into this town. And then and then Poe, um, who lives in the town, wrote, wrote the, a memoir that's about him and his life and how he ended up in this town and his Mexican wife and autistic son and, uh, and how it all sort of ties in thematically to this math professor who, who died tragically. And, you know, some people think it was a suicide. Some think it, it was a murder. And like I say, it's, it's still unresolved, um, you know, to this point. So with, you know, all of those things, um, you know, are also, all, you know, that, that the, all of that encompasses the film, including the town and the people in the town. And just it's sort of a portrait of a place as well. And so coming to, to the story initially, I was certainly 
uh, you know, interested in Poe and his life. And I probably would have, you know, tried to make a documentary just about Poe, but, you know, with, without any sort of, I mean, I don't want to call it a hook, but because that's kind of cheap, but it's sort of, I mean, it's, it's certainly how I've been trying to, you know, promote and market the film because that's what people want. I mean, if you're like, you ask people if they want to see a, a documentary about a, a, you know, peripatetic author who, you know, just lived in small towns his whole life. I mean, people just aren't interested. So when you, when you introduce a, a violent, you know, horrific, uh, unsolved death in a weird little town, people suddenly perk up and, you know, you can just see them, um, you know, get interested in the story. Yeah. I mean, and Poe's story is, is fascinating as well. And when you do throw in the, the murder and this people of that small town are really interesting characters, though they're, I mean, yeah. real, but characters, characters sounds, no. but it's like, and it's, and I don't want to give too much away because it's, you know, I think people should see the movie and read the book. And that's the other great thing is I've read the book. I, I might have read it twice actually, but I've seen your documentary three times. <laughs> And it's, oh wow! But they both they go. It's kind of uh, they they complement each other well. Like it it's kind of exciting to read the book and and get into this world and then actually go and see some of these people, and 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 how they actually are. And then because you you kind of theorize who's guilty and who may have been involved. And then it's crazy to actually start seeing these people and going, yeah, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that was like kind of the uh, one of the fun things about it too was was that you know, I don't I don't know like many instances where where you know, there's been a, a documentary that's well, okay, there are a few, but you know, where where there's sort of a documentary based on a book where you can then like dive in and and you know, something like Pose where some of the names are obfuscated because people last them too and you know, I, but you can just sort of fit together all the little pieces that that are in one but are in the other because they're just very different mediums and different forms and there are legal considerations and all this stuff. So you kind of get a, you know, uh, a, a mosaic like portrait of, of the place. And that, I mean, that was even fun for me because I didn't read the book uh, until about a year into filming the documentary, but that, but it was always my hope. And I'm glad you say that because it was always my hope to, you know, that they, that they weren't the same thing, but that they, as you say, complemented each other. Yeah. It's well, it's like to get to see his wife, and his child. I mean, to read about them, and but then I, I, there's a different feel when you get to see them speak, and uh, you know, like her yearning to go back to Mexico, and mm. I mean, there's, there's, and the kid is so goddamn lovely. Yeah. How how great is Tom? He's amazing. And it's also I, I was. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I just like pose. Because Poe at the beginning of the film, and he, I mean, he writes about it often. Uh, you know, he moved to the town to kill himself. <laughs> and it's, yeah. And it's like you look at him and you're like, you don't seem like it. Like he seems quite pleased with his c current life. So it's sort of like, it's just yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, going back to, you know, uh, or, or sort of trying to picture him as in his youthful incarnation is kind of difficult because he's such a gregarious guy. But, um, you know, you, it's interesting, though, too, because, I mean, first of all, it was really nice of Poe to let me interview and, and film his, his son, you know, who was in third grade at the time. He's a little bit older now. But, you know, I mean, that's something that not every parent would want to do, especially when you're talking about in the film. I mean, you're talking about his kid's 
uh, issues, potentially being autistic or on the autism spectrum and, you know, having some, some, you know, learning difficulties and things like that. And, but that, I, I think that's reflective of Poe as a writer as well, where he just says, look, everybody's got these problems and issues and, you know, most people just, you know, they hide them or they medicate themselves, but, you know, like, why don't we just kind of talk about it and, and try and, and try and figure it out that way. Um, you know, and so, and, and, that, and so I think that was really cool. And that's one of, I mean, Tom is always a crowd favorite. I mean, consistently people, you know, they think he's one of the best characters and, and even, and in the book as well, people talk about how, how Tom is such a sweet, cute boy. And, and he is. When you were, um, after you read the book, did you feel that influenced the approach you were taking with the film at all? Or Yeah, it did. I mean, I didn't want it to influence it from the outset. I mean, I didn't want to form conclusions. And, I mean, you know, there's a million ways to approach any story that you're that you're trying to tackle. And for me, I just wanted to, the film to, to at least be able to, to stand on its own or say what it was going to say outside of the book. But... Ultimately, you know, I read the book and I was having some structural issues and Poe then was helping me, you know, Poe was watching cuts and we were talking about it and he was able to be, you know, something of a, you know, advisor or he doesn't come from film, but we could, but we could talk about story and, and things like that. And that's consistent of, you know, if you're telling a joke or, or, um, you know, writing a book or making a film. So, you know, in the end, I think they're, they, they hew closer to, some of the same themes and things like that than maybe they would have if I'd never read the book. But um, in the end, I think it became an important part of, of the process. Uh, did, when you were there interviewing these people, did you get a sense of, um, uh, cause uh, you read the, the book and see the film and there's some of the people seem a little shady and, <laughs> and did you get a better, uh, there's the the one guy from LAPD specifically that uh, whose name yeah I'm, like he just seems Lauren like, and even in the, the there's some stuff that I think is in the book that isn't in the movie that's like he's a pretty f- scummy guy yeah yeah I mean so I didn't know all of the background because I hadn't read the book during the interview um, or before the interview so he actually uh, you know tried to to woo Poe's wife away from him and ended up eventually marrying a, a, another Mexican woman in town. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Lauren was kind of an exception, but in the end, I mean, he also, I, you know, I, I don't give him a pass, but he, you know, he was in Vietnam and then I don't think you can go to war and, and come back from it the same, the same person. And I don't know, cause I haven't been to war, but you know, I'll, for, I'll forgive certain things, and and in the end, I mean, he at least on some level, he was he was setting up these searches for Stephen and trying to to help find him when he disappeared. And it's like, you know, like anybody, you know, there there there's good and bad and evil and and stuff like that. But and he certainly skews more towards the evil side, I would say. But but um, you know, I, I think I think the film is able to be a bit more. Uh, let's say fair than Poe's, but I'm, I'm giving an objective portrait of, of a lot of these people. I mean, coming into town, even though I'm there for a month, I sit down with them for, you know, an hour or something like that and hour, hour and a half. And so, uh, you know, I'm showing people the way that they want to show themselves. Right. I mean, that's what you do when you get in front of a camera, you know, you're never yourself. Um, you're a version of yourself that you want people to see. So, uh, so Yeah. I guess that's a really long answer, and I doubt I even answered your question. I but. think 
did did you get a sense of when you were there that did you pick up on anything like that may have made you think it was somebody within the town or do you think it was just this exterior thing that happened um okay that's a good question okay and you know i i don't think that anybody that i that i interviewed um actually killed steven but i'll 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 go with poe and say that i think that um definitely i don't think it was suicide so i think somebody knows something something somebody knows more than what they're telling and maybe somebody was just helping him uh get get to where he was and and um as as lauren says i mean somebody had to help him get to where he was and and kill himself in the way that he did which in most states um you know assisted suicide is the same thing as murder so i i just don't think it's i don't think it's um anybody in the film but i also think that uh you know certainly people were involved so i do think there's a, a mystery still to to be solved do they still investigate that because it is it's the guy's like way out in the middle of nowhere tied to a tree and like it was just like crazy it, if it yeah was, i mean it's crazy for suicide or murder it's just such a weird setting really weird and you know and incinerated beyond any any recognition any sort of plausible way that that most law enforcement can think of how he got that burned um and even so Van Taub, the county attorney who you know he was one of the first on the scene and he did the autopsy because he's also the the coroner um or he was involved in the autopsy i think they might have sent the remains to to Scotts Bluff but um, you know, he said, he told me he's seen, you know, tons of burned bodies and house fires, bodies that have fallen on campfires, things like that. And he's never seen anything like this with burns to this degree. So it, it seems like there must have been some sort of accelerant involved or a blowtorch or, you know, who knows. But it just doesn't seem feasible that, that he just went out there and, and fell on, you know, some charcoal and, and burned, burned that badly. Um but, you know, the, circling back to your question, too, I mean, there were, I, you know, this isn't a journalistic approach, but there were some leads and some people that insinuated that certain people were involved. But, you know, I didn't want to be totally irresponsible and include things that I couldn't corroborate or I didn't want to accuse people without having, you know, any evidence at all. So, you know, there are people that were mentioned that, I, you know, that may be involved that weren't interviewed that we couldn't corroborate. So, you know, I mean, and not, nothing is very concrete. Nothing's extremely, if, if, if anything was that promising, I mean, I think they would be investigating it, but the, the case is open. So, so they're, we don't have access to a lot of the files, but they're not actively investigating. Excuse me. Now to turn yeah. towards you, like what was, what drew you to just documentary filmmaking in general? It's a good question also. Uh, so, I, you know, I went to, to school actually for finance, but um, really? I got, yeah, that's that's my degree. But, you know, I went to Penn State. It's, you know, like a big kind of degree factory. And I realized pretty early that I didn't want to do that. And it's just one of those things where you're like, you know, what what have I always loved? What have I, what have I always wanted to do? And it was always film. So that, I mean, that's what I've been doing since I got out of school and I've done a lot of, you know, different shit that we can talk about or not, but, uh, but you know, everything was always up leading to making my own projects. I think as, you know, as 
um, as it's sort of like the end goal, right? I mean, you, you've got to learn and you do some learning on the job and, and then, you know, you eventually break out and make your own stuff. But at the time that I started Love and Terror, I had uh, I'd done one narrative feature um, called Rachel and Diana, which was basically my film school, I call it. And I was pretty broke and looking for a story and writing and things like that. And uh, so when, when I found Love and Terror, it just happened to be something that, it, you know, it, not only did it just totally jump out at me, but I also felt like I could get started without um, spending inordinate sums of money, which documentaries are, are a little bit less resource intensive than, than narrative, at least at least at the outset. So We're going to get back to the conversation here in one moment, but I just want to take out this time to uh, make you aware of, if you go to my page at feralaudio.com, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and if you click on the Amazon link, and if you use that anytime you purchase things like uh, groceries, um, medicine, shampoo, DVDs, Feral Audio and Conversations with Matt Dwyer gets a kickback of that money, and that can help us uh, keep our lights on and buy equipment. I currently desperately need a new recorder so I can do more extensive interviews with more than two people at a time. Uh, this would help me out greatly. You can also donate through that donate button on my pages as well. Um, so if you really want to buy me a new Zoom recorder, that would be awesome. Thank you very much for listening. Back to the conversation. It's such a great film, Love and Terror. It's <clears throat> to be, it's like I was kind of like last night when I was watching it again, like I was thinking of other documentaries, and I'm not saying this as like to blow smoke up your ass, or, but, but I was like, I was like, this is kind of, I was like, this is as good as the fucking Sugar Man movie. It, that's exactly what I thought. Like, and then from when I've heard a bit from some insider folk that the Sugar Man movie is a little bit bullshit anyway. For the record, <laughs> yeah. So I knew some uh, some people who uh, <clears throat> worked with worked with uh, his band. And oh, really? Yeah, I, uh, Sonny Smith of Sunny in the Sunsets alludes to that in uh, my interview with him. He because uh, I can't think of the guy's name now. Was his band uh, Rodriguez's band? Rodriguez, yeah. Was his band leader for a bit? But that's ne neither here nor there. I'm just saying, like your film is yeah. is high quality. It's a great story it, it, you get caught up in it thanks yeah well that's uh, i mean you know that that's it's one of the challenges when you're wrangling so many different like topics and themes that you want to talk about i mean that was that was one of the huge challenges of the film and you know probably like you it's like you know you tell a joke so many times you can't tell if it's good any anymore but you at least have the the uh the ability to try it in front of an audience. So with the film, I mean, you just don't know until you get it out in front of people. So it's a, it's nerve wracking, man, honestly. Yeah. Um, but is your goal to not, do you want to do more documentaries? Or are you looking to go more towards a n narrative next time? A little bit of both. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing again. I mean, I'm always writing and it's just never very good, but, uh, I'm doing that and constantly working on that. But but also, you know, I've been looking for a doc project because because it was as challenging as it was, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. So you know, if you if you and it's like things come out of the weirdest you know left field, and and I have some things that I'm kind of circling and thinking about. But you know, it's it's like you've got to find that project that's gonna 
sustain your passion for two years plus. I mean, and and that I find is sort of the biggest thing uh, right now for me. It's like you go through two years of making a film, a year promoting it and playing festivals and all that stuff. And then, you know, you, you're like drained and exhausted. So, you know, if you're not totally, totally taken with something, you're just, it's just not going to be any good. So I'm just waiting for that thing to, to, to really strike me. So yeah, if you know anything or, you know, oh, uh, my, 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 my email's out there. I'm sure you know a million great stories that should be told. I, there's one I, I can't think of I'll, uh, that I thought of a while ago, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you when we're done. But was finance, like when finance was a, uh, was that just like that, I'm going to play it safe, get a normal degree, and you like struggled with maybe should, were you like, I want to make films, but this is like the safe route to go, or did, what, what was the switch there? That was really more just being at a, a school like Penn State, where you know you're just once they have you in a in a, a, a whatever you want to call it, uh, you're, you're just I mean you're you're cattle in a way. It's just they make it really hard for you to 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 to, to, to change direction. Yeah, what are those things called? Where the the cows are in? Yeah, I can't can't even think of the word. But uh, so you know once once you're kind of stuck, you're in there and. They, you know, I'd have to would have had to go to school for another year to to do film, and and so I just I took as many film classes as I could, and I begged teachers to let me take their classes, and I, you know, I ended up taking a few, at least getting a, a grasp of, of um, you know, certain things. Like I hadn't edited really before. I'd I'd been taking pictures, black and white photography, since I was in uh, middle school, and uh, you know, doing some little sort of video stuff, you know, in middle and early high school, but. Um, you know, basically my plan was just, I'll finish finance cause it's fucking easy. Like business school is kind of a joke. Like, and, and I'm sure it's not the same at like, if you go to Harvard or whatever, but I, I mean, it's just not, it's, it's geared more towards almost like it felt, it felt anyway, geared towards just being able to interact with people and, you know, I don't know, man. It's it's just dreary. It's just dreary. But so I finished finance and did well, you know, did well enough. And, and then just uh, started PAing on commercials as you do. Oh, that's a brutal gig. I've done that a lot. <laughs> it's just yeah, and it's Thank, thankless. It's funny because I've I always say like people always, especially here in Los Angeles, people always think that the film business is this very like uh, liberal and like worker oriented, and it's like they take advantage of so many workers. Oh my god! And it's like it's yeah. <clears throat> there was a gig I had where it was like. I was making, it was a day rate, and I f- did the math one day, and I was making less than minimum wage an hour, and I was like, "Where to go, <laughs> liberal Hollywood?" Like, it's like yeah, slave yeah. labor wages. Yeah, dude, totally, and you know, but but and, and I guess in some way, I mean, that's where my business degree ha- helps some because. It's like, you know, what they, they don't give a, sh- they don't give a shit about your creativity or any, you know, you're not there for that reason. Like you, they want you to be on time. And, you know, if you're working with equipment, that's one thing, but generally you don't, you know, it's a long time before you get to that point. So, you know, if you can do a spreadsheet like that, helped me out. And, you know, and I got some lucky sort of, I, I got into some sort of lucky situations and I ended up being um so I, I worked on the lovely bones which came to philly and ended up becoming peter jackson's driver and sort of pa and then i went to new zealand for a year to keep working on that and sort of had the same job so you know i, I would attribute you know a lot of just getting to that point to like to business school but 
you know, I, if, if I had to be honest, because really when you're talking about a production of that size and that level, I mean, they, they don't care about, you know, yeah. what, what, what your favorite, what your favorite movie is or, or anything like that. You know, you said something interesting because I think it's as a creative person, as a filmmaker, I almost think it, you're probably better being outside of Los Angeles because you said out there they don't care about creativity, which is 100% in my like it is pretty rare. And I, I often say people move to L.A. to get famous, not be like you don't move here to be creative for sure. Right. <clears throat> and I wonder if that's like an interest of yours is that maybe to stay away from this town and see what you could do within Philly. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's never been super conscious really. I mean, I, I haven't really wanted to move to LA or New York just because I've, I have felt that sort of, you know, small fish in a big pond thing. But, you know, when I, when I came back from New Zealand, um, I actually worked for Oliver Stone for a weekend. He was just about to do wall street too. And, they, he needed, they needed like a driver and assistant for him for the weekend. Anyway, we had a good time. And like, I got back to New York to like drop him off. And he was like, Dave, he's like, I want you to work on, you know, wall street too. And he's like, let me call the producer. And he called up this woman, Celia, who was the producer. And he handed me the phone. And like, the first thing she said was, she was like, Oh, she's like, okay. She's like, yeah, there's a few producers that need assistance. Can, do you have a place you can crash in, in New York for a couple of months? And, you know, I'm just like, man, I've just been an assistant for like a year and a half. And if I do this for another year, like I'm just going to end up in, in the same place. So, you know, that's why like I made my first feature and, 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 you know, and being in New Zealand for a year, it just, I mean, it shows you pretty clearly that you don't have to be in LA. I mean, Peter built that, you know, whatever you want to, I mean, that entire network and system. And I mean, it's a studio, it's a, it's, it's everything, you know, and he built that on the other side of the world. And like, you know, I mean, a lot of people, depending on what you're doing, you, you might have to be in New York or LA, but I think you can kind of be anywhere. And you're, you're likely, I think, to run into more interesting sort of stories if you're on the fringes and Poe will attest to that as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like, I mean, in th the way it is, it's so much easier to make a movie these days than it was in like Cassavetti's time. Yeah. You know, it's like Cassavetti's would have probably made a mo movie every six months with the, with the ability we have now. And it's like, but yeah. it also makes me wonder like, why aren't we seeing more interesting film if it's easier than ever? Or am I being naive? Like where is, where are these? Where, what's That's a good that's a good question. I keep saying that, but you know, I, I I'm not sure. And I, you know, I was watching an interview with um, I'm not going to remember his name, but he was one of the cinematographers on Primary, that uh, the documentary about Ke the Kennedy and Humphreys Primary in Wisconsin, and um, it was like this. This interview was I don't know, probably from a few years ago. But uh, you know, he sort of said somebody asked him a similar question and, and his answer was like, well, how long have pens and paper been around, you know, and how, and how difficult are they to, to use and, and how many great books are published every, you know, every decade, like not that many. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess I would subscribe to that in some way that even though it's democratized to a certain extent, it's also um, just, just because everybody can, I guess technically do it. It doesn't mean that the the pool of of talent is that is any deeper, you know. Yeah, that is true. I just feel like uh, 
it's uh, the independent film in general there's like there's it's just everything seems so it's either these giganto fucking movies or they're yeah. really smaller movies that se- like uh blue ruin i don't have you seen mm. which i was like yeah. I, I was like how did i miss this like i mean thank god for netflix but i was like this should have to me in my warped sense of how things should be should have been like a huge film because it was that movie's fucking amazing yeah, really cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But like, I worry and, and, that, you know, that somebody's just gonna, you know, that guy before he can make another great film, he's just gonna be making, you know, Superman five or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, I guess it's like uh, the, the the cream that floats to the top of the indie film world doesn't seem to stay there for very long. But you should get. I mean, you got guys like Joe Swanberg who I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a I, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I like him, and I think he's got he makes interesting films. And he's found a way to kind of circumvent that. I mean, he's made bigger films now, but he's sort of retained his, um, you know, capriciousness or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's tough. And I, I, I don't know. I wish I had a, a better answer for you because, I mean, it's it's like, you know, even for an independent filmmaker, I mean, you watch your friend's stuff and your friends recommend things and, you know, but there's still a, a, this giant, you know, industry, independent quote unquote film industry where, where even the films that cost like, you know, $5 million are, are considered indies and they're still promoted heavily by, you know, movie maker and all these magazines. And they're all from pedigrees of Sundance and all, and whatever. And I, you know, I don't know, I can't make sense of it. What were the films that like when early on that interest you in filmmaking or filmmakers? Filmmakers, yeah, probably my first. I mean, when I was young, right? Like in when I was going to the movie store when I was like thirteen, and getting people to, you know, becoming friends with the, the guy at the counter, so would give me R-rated movies. I mean, it was definitely like Tarantino and Kevin Smith and stuff like that. Um, and partly just for like the cool factor, you know, when you're thirteen and you're watching movies where you know they're saying fuck every other word and talking about like lesbians and all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> that, that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could probably still recite like half of Pulp Fiction because I've seen it so many times. But uh, and I still love Tarantino. But um, but the first films probably that I was like, oh, okay, film isn't just like you know E.T. and and shit like that. When I first started to look at them a bit more critically, it was probably guys like uh, Terrence Malick. Um, and you know Paul Thomas Anderson, and then some a lot of the French New Wave stuff. Like I started watching uh, just Truffaut, Godard, stuff like that, where where you just sort of where you're like, okay, all right, it's not, it's it's it, there, there's you know subtext is is as important as as everything else. Um, so Kieslowski, guys like that. Godard just had a movie come out, and it's I have yet to see it, but it's supposed to be like a masterpiece, and the guy's like eighty. Four. It's just like Jesus. Yeah, and I haven't seen th- it either. It's in 3D on top of it. Yep. Which Godard yeah, 3D yeah. is like, uh, like I, <laughs> when they when they throw 3D out there, rarely I'm like I'm like ooh 3D, but like when it's like Herzog, Scorsese, or Godard, you're like oh, oh yeah. I bet you they do something really fucking interesting. Yeah, yeah, I bet, and I missed it. It was at one or two festivals for, that I was at um, this past year, and I just wasn't you know wasn't there for it. But yeah, you know, and and like it's not. Not only I don't like everything that all these guys do, but I appreciate the questions that they're asking, the modes that they're working in. I mean, I can appreciate a good blockbuster as well. You know, I mean, if it's done well and it's and it's you know 
just trying to say something a little bit different. I mean, that's, I don't know that. I mean, I, I can grade on a curve when I need to, but, uh, but, you know, I, I'm just, you know, if people are taking risks and, you know, I, I may not have loved everything about Birdman, but like, I really love that film just because for its energy, its vitality, like this, the script was, you know, was good and, and they were taking risks, but it wasn't like, it didn't feel just like a, a pure experiment in style. Um, so, you know, don't know where that was going but do you feel like because i uh i've interviewed a lot of uh documentary make filmmakers and a lot of them you know like i that's to get of course it, to get a theatrical release is very difficult but to like get on hbo and like is it are things like netflix and amazon sort of like do you think saving graces for a lot of these kind of movies I don't, I don't think so, honestly. I mean, I, it's, and I've been talking to a lot of filmmakers, you know, this past year and I mean, almost to a man, every single one, even, even some of the more successful people, I mean, everybody had, no, everybody has jobs, you know, some people have production companies, some have some work on, you know, film preservation. Some people do things completely unrelated. And um, so, you know, nobody's, nobody's actually making money off of their, documentaries or at least like enough to to live um and i'm sure there's a few exceptions well michael moore i'm, I'm sure and herzog and stuff like that but you know I, and i can only speak from my experience and and you know and what i've learned over the over my fe over my festival run but it's sort of like uh it's it's it's, it's pretty dire and and when you look at you know, so my film is going to be released uh, through a company called Gravitas, and it will be released on you know Netflix or sorry iTunes, VOD, a number at a number of outlets and some various other you know online places. And they have great reach, and there's a lot of people. But it's like without money to market your film, people don't know to know to watch it. Um, without some sort of you know without a press agent, whatever. I mean, you still have to generate sales, and a company like Netflix. Um, is they're just i mean they're they, they 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 don't really have like a set strategy from what i understand i mean it, it just it's constantly shifting based on consumer demand and things like that so some months they'll buy a lot of documentaries some months they won't buy any and so for a film like mine I'm, you know i might not ever get on netflix and even if i do i mean they might pay me you know i don't know let's just say ten thousand dollars for three years which i split with my distributor which is then you know, it's paid uh, quarterly and, you know, whatever, man. I, you know, I can, I can buy like a bag of Skittles, you know, with, with what I'd make, what I'd make every quarter. So, Boy, they got, but it's just, they got the artist over a, you know, a barrel. Cause it's like, we'll do it no matter what. And they, it's like, they kind of know it. We'll, we'll just yeah. keep creating stuff. So they're like, yeah, we don't need to pay you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that it's, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I'll have a better idea once, you know, I've, once I actually, release my film and stuff like that but i you know i don't expect to certainly don't expect to make any money how was uh, maybe oh i was how was it how did people respond to it at the festivals were you pleased with that absolutely yeah absolutely it was great i mean it's such a cool thing uh you know after sitting in front of your computer for you know a year and and wondering if anybody's ever going to see it to actually go out and, and get to connect with people you know, it's, it's never going to be the festival favorite, I don't think. I mean, I just it's just not that film, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. But, you know, the people that loved it, like, just were ad adamant, and they just, you know, they they absolutely loved it and, you know, told all their friends to see it. And, you know, people see it 
multiple times in, in one festival. And, you know, and that's really cool because you, you know, you're like, okay, so, you know, I don't, I don't need to be in, in the multiplex, but I'm connecting with, with some people and some people share my aesthetic and my vision and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty cool, man. You know? Yeah. It seems like a lot of the documentaries that are like the, ones people love is those uplifting happy ending wherever you know? yeah it's like and i've never been the kind of guy because when you said that i was like and i compared your film to rodriguez and i just meant quality but rodriguez is just like you know it's like and then the guy's out of obscurity and he wins and it's like yeah it's i mean just life is it, it's like a typical happy movie which i I don't, I like depressing endings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, pe people want to be, you know, affirmed and they want to feel good for the most part, but you know, I guess it's as much an illusion as anything else, but uh, you know, and people like social issue docs a lot. I mean, I think some of those make a bit more, more money and stuff, but you know, I, I guess like it, you know, on some level, you know, we can't really, we don't really choose what, what interests us, you know? I mean, it's, you know, it's the same thing for, for you, I'm sure as you're, writing material and and i mean you know what 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 attracts you is is something that's it's a it's ephemeral you know you couldn't you couldn't put your you can't really put your finger on it and and so you know for me like to go out and say okay here's the the, the dominant issue of the day how can i make a film about it i mean for me it's more like oh man here's a fucking cool ass dude like poe who you know, maybe nobody gives a shit, but I do. So I want to make this movie, and and I um, I assume that's how my my next film, whatever it's going to be, will will also be. I think. I mean, that's the. I mean, if you have to re work from that space, otherwise, I don't know. It's you're just a. It's I, I. There's guys I know who are you know. They're, they know the film business and TV, and they know what you know. They're like they're looking for this thing with. 12 year old girls and 30 year old moms and I'm like you know, like I'm like oh, how do you fucking do that and then how do you sit down and write it and not feel like just gross <laughs> it's like because to I, me that's I, just like it's not honest I I agree and I and I don't know but I to, to try and put myself in their position it's like maybe they just enjoy the business and maybe they just like saying they're you know a screenwriter and 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 I you know I guess that's that's fine but I you know I don't it's just not the the place that I come from, you know. Yeah, I think there's the people who it's more about the uh, the game of the business than it is about you know. And I can see, I'm sure that's thrilling if I if my brain could work that way. But it just I I'm I, it, I'm in awe of them too. I'm like Jesus Christ, you know. Way to yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 envious. I'm envious because I wish I could I could get there. You know, I, I wish I could mentally get there because I think it would be easier in some ways you know but i feel like i really and i i really feel like uh anytime a, a certain movie comes out that's a little bit different and you know and everyone reacts to it uh like birdman or something you know i think even if they're not that good i think people are starving desperately for something different like i feel like especially in this era where and like some of those big popcorn movies and whatnot are good, but I just feel like some people are, they just want something fucking real. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're sick of fucking Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, I don't know, Matt. What's the solution? Come out and see your show? Yeah. I think we should just start a thing where we just go and start killing executives and filmmakers who make films we don't like, and then we make that oh. into a documentary. 
Okay, well, listen, you, I'll, I'll, I'll come out. I'll start filming you. You know, we'll, we'll recruit some gunmen. That'll, that'll be great. It'll be a real. Uh, it'll be. It'll be the player meets man bites dog. <laughs> oh man, man, but that's that's a great film. I love that. Uh, it's funny how crazy I could laugh at vicious, horrible violence because of that film. I know. Oh God. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I'm kind of brilliant, you know, kind of a little little bit ahead of ahead of its time in in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know, Matt. I mean, I you know, like at the same time as you're as I'm trying to create, I mean, you're, I'm also trying to answer the same question because I don't want to make films like that, you know, but that, you know, but when you write, um, you, you know, it's, it is the easiest thing to do is fall back on tropes and stereotypes. And, you know, often you'll, I'll look at something and that I had written the day before and it's just like, okay, like that, that sucks. Like, you know, you've got to just throw that entire thing away, but like, and you might have to do that, like, you know, 50 times to get to, uh, to where, you know, to get to someplace original, but those, those stereotypes are just, they're just so ingrained, you know? Yeah. And it's sad. Yeah. It's funny how it, when you start writing scripts and stuff, how it's just, you, sometimes you just, their, their dominant, voice clicks in and you're like the next thing you know or at least for me i'm just like ah i just really i just did that huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i mean how, how do you approach you know how do you approach you know your your work whether you're you know when, when, when you're writing i mean what i'm just interested you know like what when you're looking for the topic for you know whatever it might be uh i don't know i mean i've written a lot of different stuff besides stand-up too it's usually just sort of I mean, it tends to be dark. <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of death and desperation in my work. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just something that strikes me, or something that maybe once in a while something that upsets me or makes me angry. Uh, not that I'm I, I don't consider myself an angry. Uh, my my creations are angry, but like I'm I want to react to something partially to uh, s sort of therapy, soothe it or whatever to understand it. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's certainly things I've places I've gone to creatively that I'm not capable as a human being. And if people read it, that uh, sometimes I think they'd be like, "Oh my god, what's your fucking problem?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then there is the yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, I think you know, I, probably for the same reason that that we both connected with Poe's work. Um, you know, he's, he, I mean, he's obviously the, the common denominator here, but uh, you know, I look, I also look for people that, that, you know, approach things the same way and, and have that, I, don't, I mean, that, that have those sort of those, those same tendencies that you just talked about, but then also can, you know, flip it around and, and find humor in it. And, you know, I'm sure that's, you know, it's what you do as well because you're, you're a comedian. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I love doing stand up comedy and stuff, but I find, as a as a means of expression, it's limited because, you know, it's you kind of you can have moments where you're not being hilarious and you could be interesting and whatnot. But um, there's you know it's like I think what was great about the the progression of Woody Allen and or, or like what Louis C.K. show is it's like mm. they stop becoming comedies and they become kind of drama dra more drama based with a lot of comedic moments. Which is, right. to me, far more interesting. Like, that's what I've... And I think that you get that with Poe. It's like, you know, there's a seriousness, there's a humor to it. It's, uh, 
I yeah, I kind of like I get pissed that people compare Poe to um uh Bukowski and Kerouac often. I mean, there's similarities I think on a life basis, but I think as writers, he's far more accessible and vulnerable and uh not, I agree. and not as egotistical. Like there's a he's, yeah. he's real self-effacing and it's like you really almost or I uh I really relate to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I sometimes fall back on that Kerouac Bukowski thing just because it's like, you know, I've been saying it so often and people, you know, it just gives people a, a door to walk through if they want to. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not and I've heard Poe use it, too, even though he disagrees with it, because it's like you say, I mean, it's 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 probably only in sort of superficial lifestyle things, not necessarily in how they approach the world and their work. And, you know, and it's going, you know, going back to the film for a second, it's like, that's that's one thing that I wasn't wasn't sure of at all from the outset is like how am I going to find the humor in this because there's no way that it's just going to work as as uh, a flat portrait of of all this you know horror and chaos and pose depressing life and all that and it was it was really nice once once I went back and started editing because I, I you know there were a lot of funny moments in people's interviews and ho- I mean hopefully that came through for you and it's certainly came you know come out to a lot of audiences it's just like it's kind of a funny movie and it's supposed to be you know yeah no it's and there's 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 a lot of levels to that film and there's a lot of i just have seen where poe's making a michelada <laughs> it's like <laughs> and uh which also i was like how much was he drinking during that che 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 lada yeah um yeah man yeah he drinks one of those a day and as gross as it looked they're fantastic i have dreams about them yeah, I was I was like I, I'll give that a try. <laughs> uh, there was something. Oh, but I did, yeah, and that's what I think. Like going back to what we we're talking about, creative things like Poe and like the guys like that. That's what I strive. Like the people I've been uh, influenced by, it's always been a space of honesty, and um, you know they're not concerned with like I'm going to make a gazillion dollars. It's like they just want to pour something out and be it funny or you know whatever. And I think that's what's makes the greats greats and it just seems like that's not that i'm equating myself with a great but (laughs) but i mean like to strive for that because i feel like in the long run that's the shit that's gonna rise to the top like i don't think and you know i do honestly believe poe valentine will get his due and so will most people who work from that space yeah i hope uh, I, you know, I, 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 I hope as well. And I hope Poe gets it, you know, before he, before he passes away and he's got plenty of time, but it's one thing, you know, for me as a young, youngish sort of artist, you know, at a point where, it, you know, in my quote unquote career, it's like, I mean, I, I can see the path, the sort of the, the path of, you know, less resistance anyway, but hanging out with Poe and talking with Poe and having worked with him for a year. I mean, he's a, he's a sort of a sobering, um, you know, force. Um, and, and one of the most sort of ideologically pure people that I've met and, and, you know, he's in a way, I mean, he's something to, to guide your ship by, I mean, for me, um, because he, he, you know, I know that all that other stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's really not important in the, the work and, and feeling good about the work and, and doing, you know, work that you think is important that that's what you need to do. 
And, uh, you know, and when you can look at Poe and say, okay, look, he's not famous, but he's content and he's still doing what he wants and he's never compromised. And, you know, he's never had more than enough money for, to live for six months in his entire life, but you know, he's okay with that. And it's like, okay, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but it's like, but it's like, okay, let's just remember what's important, you know, and, and let that come out in my work. It's hard to forget what's important, and that's, I think, a better another reason why not to live in Los Angeles because this town will <laughs> constantly remind you. Like, I mean, people equate with – I had this conversation the other day, and it's like, you know, like here if it, you're on a shitty sitcom, that's success. And I'm not – you know, because you're making a lot of money and because you're visible, but it's like – you know, I've seen sitcoms, and I'm like, this is a hor piece of horse shit, and most people like yeah. would eat their own feces to get in that show. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah. is that really successful if you're spending a large portion of your life um, creating something that you think is total crap? I'm like, is that success? Is that to me that's failure? On and and comprom I mean, granted, your your failures, you know, in a heated pool in the hills. But who? <laughs> right. With the right. best coke and pussy ever. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, that's not uh, that's grotesque to me. Yeah, I mean, I reckon it feels good for a little while, you know, like most things. But, you know, but that, but that, you know, that illusion will 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 dissipate quickly. I, I think. I don't know. I, I mean, who? I, yeah, I haven't had that success, and I don't. I don't strive to attain it. But I, I just I can't imagine that it that it, it would be enough incentive to do anything, you know, I, to to challenge yourself and to to you know where I mean. I, I don't know if I would delude myself into thinking that that was success. I imagine I would just within a few, you know, weeks or months, man, I would probably be, uh, you know, doing enough coke to, to try and, you know, end my life, honestly. I mean, I can say from being around this and like I went through Second City in Chicago. So it's like I've been around people who've reached heights and uh, and some I know on a better level than others and some are close friends. I can say Rare is the moment that any I see joy in these people's lives. They're just as frustrated, and I think because they're more obsessed with gaining it, uh, to, or holding on to it, or getting to another higher level instead of enjoying what they have. And it's just, it's not worth it to me, man. It's a vicious. It'll never. If you live life that way, it's it's gonna be brutal. Yeah, but here's to say, if somebody offered you a million dollars tomorrow and they, they're just like, you know, do do this shitty sitcom, like you you might be able to find out, maybe not, and like I would challenge myself to find a way to turn it down. I mean, I don't know if I'm if I'm if I it's it's hard to say if I'd be strong. Oh, if somebody offered me the money, I would I would I probably yes, of course I would, but then I would get a large chunk of money and then I would ruin the sitcom by getting caught masturbating in public and then I'd just go. And, <laughs> Hide in Europe, and you know, I I have an escape plan. I just enough money to go to Ireland yeah, yeah. and get drunk for the rest of my life. Well, no, nobody nobody cares that you masturbate in public right now because you don't have any money. So I know, no one even notices, and that's part of the fun. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> um, do you and you have uh no no set uh plans for what do you, what your next move is. Uh, I mean, nothing. I, look, I got to make some money right now. I do corporate commercial work. So, I mean, I've got some projects coming up. And uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a few things I want to do. I might work with uh, another author, Marion Winnick, on something, which I won't get into too much. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I've been introduced to a lot of people through through Poe, and and um, you know, somehow it all comes back to these literary figures. So, I'm, I, you know, there might be some sort of other literary uh, film in the works, or there's a really interesting uh, native guy out in Chadron who I just want to like follow around and and I don't know, do do more of like a, a Grey Gardens type piece, portrait piece, but you know. Just, I mean, you know, it's like you have this idea, but just like the logistics, getting people comfortable, getting people, you know, it's like there's just a thousand things. So film comes out on next Tuesday or, well, February 3rd, whenever this is. And like, you know, I got to spend a couple weeks like promoting on Facebook and just doing all that stuff. And then, you know, it's like I really got to buckle down, sort of pick a project or else, you know, do what that dude from Searching for Sugar Man did and just you know, get a camera and, well, I have a camera, but take my camera and just, (laughs) you know, and just head out, man, and look for a story. Cause I don't want to just sit around, you know, and I, you know, and there's only so much you can do from your, from your laptop. Um, here's my pitch for a documentary, uh, depressed, depressed, reclusive, uh, up comic who does a podcast, hangs out with his two dogs. (laughs) I'm just, I'm describing my life. Well, I can tell that sounds great, man. Keep going. Uh, well, well, I mean, I mean, look, if you're really going to get some guns and shoot studio executives, I mean, obviously I'll be there in a second. You know, we, we've got to we've got to have some climax. Right. Yeah. Somehow we let's pin the Sony uh, uh, hack on me and really. I don't know. I was trying to <laughs> make it topical. I should stay away from topical. But uh, so where? Well, no, can... listen. Well, you, you can get a sex change. I mean, look, anything, anything well, that's, that's see, sort of topical that you want to do. Yeah. Convert you could you could convert to, to uh Islam, get a sex change, uh, you know, ado- adopt some kids. I don't know, man. Whatever, we'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah, we will. So this podcast will come out on Wednesday is uh, when uh, which I'm blinking on what date that is, but uh, hmm. next week uh, your uh, Okay, so that'll be the 4th. Um so yeah, so the the film will be soon. out. Yeah, it'll be out on iTunes and um, you know, go and say nice or awful things about it, but you know, watch it. I think is is the main thing that I hope for. And and then, but buy uh, Poe's books. And if you happen to be listening on, uh, so I'll be in uh, Missoula, Montana, for one more film festival from the fifth uh, through the eighth of. So if you live there, do you have any listeners in Missoula? Do you know, I have them all over. Not to brag, but I have a worldwide audience. All right. Well, if, if anybody in in Missoula, then then come out to there's there's two screenings I think on and uh, on they Friday can, Friday and Sunday. Your Twitter and website. Uh, Love and Terror the movie. dot com is the is the film and everything's accessible through there. And you know, as uh, there's an email address for my you know if you want to get in touch. I mean, I I'm kind of a one man show, so I'll get any emails that you send. Great. So uh, thank you, Dave. Yeah. Matt, it's been a pleasure, man. I look forward to seeing you in Philly, L.A., or Chicago. I hope so, too. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I hope you enjoyed uh, this. Like I said, go to my Amazon link. Please, I beg you, donate. Use the Amazon link. Follow me on Twitter, themattdwyer.com. Thank you very much.
a branch of the United States government. It is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.